sorry. Where are they going, Charlie? Are you going to your office? Okay. Um, I want you to uh, open your Bibles to the book of Mark with me. And uh, I really, I wanted to move on to this, to something, but the Lord wouldn't let me. And uh, is that all right? If I obey the Lord, I guess you would want your pastor to obey the Lord, right? But um, I wanted to move on. I was really, I've really been digging on the book. I believe right now, and I don't want to get too far in this or I'll start preaching it. The book of Nehemiah is the book for the hour. I believe that, absolutely. Um, and uh, just as, uh, and we're going to start into a study on the book of Nehemiah on Sunday mornings. And uh, it's just phenomenal. You know, if you look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah did something and he rebuilt the wall in 52 days. That's something that Israel couldn't do in 70 years. Of cat, they could not do it, and in 52 days, God used him. And uh, so, uh, just some so. Anyways, I better stop. So, uh, but uh, I've really wanted to preach on this, and I've really just uh, God's been stirring me up about this. But this morning, when I woke up, and uh, at 4 a.m., thank you, Jesus. And uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, always when I wake up at four, I think that Joe's up, you know, out doing calisthenics in his garage at 4 a.m. in the morning, and and. Uh, and so I'm laying there in bed, and all and God, the Holy Spirit is just speaking to me, and He says, "I want you to preach this. I want you to keep on this. Don't let this up." And so, okay. And uh, so I just started writing down the things that He was telling me. But in Mark chapter four, Jesus releases a parable to His disciples—a story. Um, the word "parable" means something thrown alongside. It's a, it's a, it's something thrown alongside that's taken out of life. It's thrown alongside. It's a, it's a story that you and I we can learn from. We can learn ideas from, uh, principles. It's a narrative, and so Jesus begins to tell about the sower sowing the seed, and and the real key in all of this. And if you do a, a study through the Gospels, looking at this same parable in the other Gospels, you start finding out that. Jesus was really telling this particular parable to his disciples and said, if you want to understand everything about the kingdom, you have to understand this first, this story that I'm telling in Mark 4. And in fact, he says, how can you know? And Mark, he says, how can you know anything else if you don't know this? So you've got to understand this. So his disciples, he begins to explain to them what this parable is really all about. And you know the, 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 the narrative from this that it's about, he's, he's talking about the sower sowing the seed, it goes by the hard ground, it goes on the stony ground, it goes on the ground where there's thorns that are growing there, and it goes on the good ground, okay? And all of us want to be good ground, amen? Everybody here wants to be good ground. But we recognize that there are things that happen in life that we deal with, and, and Jesus talks about those things. He talks about the five things that the enemy will try to use against you and I. Those five things are affliction, which we talked about last week, which was pressure. It means in the little Greek, literal Greek language, pressure. We talked about how that affliction and persecution, and persecution means, in, 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 in the understanding of the Greek, it means to chase, something that's trying to chase you away from where you're standing. All right? So whatever position that you're taking in Christ, you know, nobody cared about you being a sinner, but when you became a Christian, people started caring. Especially your friends that weren't Christians. 
I mean, all of a sudden, you know, they're trying to, what do they try to do? To pressure you back to where you were. I mean, I, you know, when I became a Christian, I really wanted to please the Lord. I wanted to, Jeff and I were talking in the office before. I believed in God. I just didn't love God. I mean, I thought I loved God, but I didn't love God. When you love God, you want to do everything that pleases God. Amen. And uh, I love Sharon, and I want to do things that please her. Amen. And I want her to notice. How many of you guys could say amen? How many of you, if you do the dishes and your wife doesn't notice, it bugs you? Come on. Bugs me. So I'm like, ta-da, right? But see, we get into a place where we're standing, and all of a sudden, what happens is somebody's trying to chase us away from that place. And that's true in everything where the word is implanted into your life. That, um, you know, when I started believing in healing, all of a sudden people started coming around me trying to tell me healing wasn't for today. That I was a weirdo because I believed in healing. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, exact same thing. You're weird, you're strange. I mean, you know, you guys got kicked out of a church because of that. So, I mean, and, and Sharon's family all got kicked out of a church because they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, why would you kick people out of a church? Because they want more of God. So they threw them out. They, but see that, so they had a choice to make, right? That seed could have got burnt or scorched in their lives and died and withered had they given in to the, not just the pressure, but the persecution. The persecution, right? So the enemy tries to use persecution. Now, the next three... Uh, it's a it's a whole different example that he uses, and he says the the three things that the enemy will use against your life is is that he will use um, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. Okay, and the lust for other things, and these things what they will do. Now I want you to notice carefully as you're looking at Mark chapter four there, and uh, and we'll look at verse uh, we'll look at verse fourteen. Okay, we'll read through this quickly. The sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they have heard, Satan comes immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And if you like to write in your Bible, I'll just have you highlight this, um, the word heard. You know, faith doesn't come through having heard, it comes through hearing. And so there are lots of things that we have heard that we have let go by. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so when we hear, when the sower sows the word, if we just heard it, it's probably going to go by the wayside eventually in our life, and it's not going to produce anything. So he says here that these are they by the wayside, or the, where the word is sown, when they have heard, Satan comes immediately, right away, to take it away, the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they, likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, notice again, heard the word, but they received it with gladness. They were joyful about what they had heard. They have no root in themselves, and so they endure but for a time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution, those are the two things I talked to you about, arise for the word's sake, not because of them, but because of what they're standing for. So remember, when you're persecuted about your Christian faith, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what the word says in your life. And there's a response we're supposed to, you know, I I mean, truthfully, the Bible says we should rejoice when we're persecuted because at least we believe something. 
right? And it says that we're, we should be happy when persecution, I'm not like saying go out and invite persecution, but persecution has a powerful effect on when, when you and I, when we are persecuted, when the church was persecuted, the church grew. I'm going to tell you something. You may not like to hear this today, but you grow when you're persecuted. A friend of mine in Vietnam who's a pastor there, Pastor Mai, and uh, he's still there preaching the gospel. He was out in, um, he was in California. He had come to the United States to uh, see his daughter graduate. And so while he was in the United States in California, um, they, he found out there was a warrant for his arrest because it's still illegal to be a Christian. You're not allowed. I mean, they'll allow certain groups to have church services, but to be a public demonstrative Christian, as Pastor Mai is, uh, it's illegal. And so there was a warrant out for his arrest. And he was talking to this minister that we were listening to, and he said to him, he said, um, he says, yeah, I'm heading back to Vietnam, and uh, but as soon as I land, there's a warrant for my arrest, and I'll be arrested. Now, when they arrest these guys, it's not like our U.S. prison system where they you know, they put them in a, you know, they have, you know, these guys have TVs today and all kinds of stuff. I mean, they're, they're, they eat, you know, good meals. And in Vietnam, when you're a pastor and you're thrown in prison, they put you in an open top cell. You, you have a, a, a very small space, a little, uh, probably about as big as this stage is from here to here. You have a bucket, which they, that's your, you know, for your waste and stuff. And then you have water, you get one cup of water a day and one cup of bowl of rice, which a bowl is not like you and I have a big giant, you know, cereal bowl. It's a little tiny bowl about that big. And they get one bowl of rice and they get one bowl of water. And he says, so when I go back, as soon as I get off the plane, they're going to arrest me. And this guy says, well, then don't go back. You can stay here. And uh, he said, no, he says, because he says, as soon as I go back, now watch this, he said, as soon as I go back and they arrest me and the church finds out about it, the church will grow. The church will grow. See, persecution has always made the church grow. In fact, persecution actually helped the church at one point because the church was determined to all stay in Jerusalem and persecution is what kicked their hind in out of Jerusalem into the world. They were all happy with staying together in the four walls and singing kumbaya to one another and having communion and praying for one another. And then persecution started happening, and it got pretty severe. And when it did, it says, and they spread everywhere. But everywhere a Christian goes, guess what they take with them? They spread the word. They spread the gospel, and so the gospel went everywhere. So he tells us here that when persecution comes and an affliction for the word's sake, it says that they are offended. And the word offended here in the Greek language is the word scandalon, which we get our word scandal, which means that so if a pressure or uh, a persecution comes, they, become, they feel like they're in a scandal, so they become offended, and they, you know, people run from scandal. So uh, he, he says they're going to be offended. Then in verse 18, he says, These are they which are sown among thorns, and they hear the word. Notice it wasn't heard the word. They hear the word, all right? So this is a person who, this is a person who is in an active relationship hearing the word of God in their life. They hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, they enter in, and I want you to underline the word if you write in your Bible, enter in, and they choke the word, underline choke the word, 
and then it becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. Now, something can't become unfruitful unless it was fruitful before, right? Everybody agree with that? So it was fruitful at one point, but now it's become unfruitful. What has caused it to become unfruitful? Because the thorns have entered in. You know, you're always surrounded by these three things, cares of the world. I mean, you know, I had watched the news this morning, cares of the world, right? Everything, just stuff going on. All, you know, California's got this deal and, you know, flooding that's happening. And they got this problem over here and this problem in the world. And, you know, at, at any point there's earthquakes, there's wars. And if you allow stuff to, those cares, those worries of the world to overwhelm you, what is it going to do? It's going to choke the word in your life. It doesn't say that we have to be ignorant that those things are going on. They are going on. And we should do our best to help people when they're going on. But there is a difference between it's happening around me and it's happening in me. All right? It's happening in me. You don't want this stuff happening in you. You don't want it happening in you. And once it does, it's going to create certain results. And so we'll talk a little bit about what all that is uh, here this morning. Okay. So he said, look, this is the word is choked. It enters in and it chokes or it puts a stranglehold on the word of God. And therefore the word of God becomes unfruitful. So let me give you just a couple of thoughts with this. All right. Here, uh, here's one. These three rob the power of the word to produce its purpose. These three that we're talking about right here, they rob the power, the strength of the seed to produce its divine intent or divine purpose. Remember we talked about that the seed has, um, the seed has two parts to it. It has divine purpose or the DNA, right? And it has energy or power to produce the DNA, for the DNA to to do what it's supposed to do. You have both of those. Throw in a catalyst, water, sunshine, dirt, and the seed will follow the purpose, right? Will follow the divine intent that God has put within it, and it will have the energy to be able to do what it needs to do. Now, when cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things begin to work on a believer's life, what it's trying to do is to rob the strength for the purpose. The first two that we talked about, affliction and persecution, they try to rob God's divine intent. This doesn't rob God's divine intent. This robs God's divine power. Because it's, remember, the seed produces. So it starts doing what it's supposed to do. Are you all with me right now? So here we got the seed. It's on the thorny ground among the thorns. It starts growing among the thorns. It's always been growing among the thorns. But the thorns begin to enter in. And then what do the thorns do? They begin to sap. They begin to take all of the strength that the plant is supposed to use for fruit bearing and begin, now watch this, 
and begin to cause that plant to only use its strength for survival. For survival. And, and so, you know, I'm praying for revelation for, you, for all of us today to just see that. You know, we're always going to be faced. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I mean, all these things that are going on in the world, and, and, and we're part of it. And, and, you know, we're in the United States, and we have problems here in the United States, and so we're going to deal with there's problems in the world. I mean, if you start reading about some of the things that are going on all around the world, the massacres and, you know, what ISIS is trying to do and all this stuff, you can become so overwhelmed. It can enter in, and it'll take your perspective off of this. It'll change your theology for sure. Your belief about God, it'll change it, it'll skew it, and it will depress, it will cause anxiety, and it will move you into what we'll call here this morning, survival mode. All right? Now, the first two, they never even made it because the divine purpose was robbed. You know, affliction and persecution came. That seed that God had planted, even though they received it, they heard it, and they received it immediately and, it, and, and, and were ready to do something. But because of the pressure and because of the persecution, it never even got anywhere. It died. Okay? So the divine intent that God had was completely robbed. The seed never even got to do what it was supposed to do. But this seed, and this is what more Christians deal with today than anything, is these three attacks of the enemy. And these three attacks, what they do in our life is, is that they begin to, it's a, there's, a, there's a, a demonic purpose to them, and that is to rob the word out of your life, to put you into survival mode. And, and, and look, I know lots of Christians today, they are not thriving, they are surviving. I mean, it's service to service. It's day by day. You know, they're just like, and, 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 and they're just praying for the rapture to come. Or death or something. You know, I just want out of here. I don't want to deal with life anymore. See, if you're in a place right now in your life where you're like, look, I don't want to deal with life anymore, you're in survival mode. And I'm not being critical, I'm just wanting to help you to see that the only way that you're going to ever get out of this is to recognize what it is you're battling against. We're not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes, the Bible says. That's what it tells us in the, in the, gospel, in the epistles. Is he said, look, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Jesus gets this. He's telling us, you know, don't be ignorant of this. Know what these things are, how they come how they work, and then what you're supposed to do in response to them. So are you ready? Uh, we're going to talk about how that we can, we can deal with those. So the first two corrupt the purpose. The second three rob the power. And even though the purpose is starting to happen, it can't get to where it needs to go because these three things keep working against it. So what are the three things? Cares of the world, Right? deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. Let's break these down a little bit and talk about what they are. First of all, the cares of this world. The word cares here in the Greek language is the word distractions, the distractions of the world. And when, when, like I said, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so there are things that are happening in the world that we need to pay attention to. I mean, we need to, you know, we need to pay attention to what's happening in politics. I'm not saying we bury our head in the sand. We need to pay attention to what's happening with our economy. You need to pay attention to what's happening with your money. Amen. 
I mean, we're not burying our head in the sand and saying, well, and pay attention to what's happening in your church. What I am saying is, is that you and I are supposed to pay attention. We're supposed to observe these things, but we are not to allow them to enter in into a place where they circumvent the power of God in our life. You know what I mean by circumvent? Cut it off. Take the place of. See, any time that a worry begins to move into our life and take control, it's now become an idol to us. Uh, and, I, and unfortunately, this is too easy, this happens all too easy, that now it controls our sleep, it controls our eating, it controls how we live our life, it controls our joy level, it controls everything about us because now this thing that's going on, which we probably have no physical control over, has now entered in and is a care of this. It's a distraction of the world. You know, I mean, look, there are poor that we need to help. But we also have to remember Jesus said, the poor you will always have, okay? So was he saying, don't help the poor? Well, heck, excuse me. No. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Don't write bad stuff to me online. No, we don't ignore it. Because the Bible tells us that we need to help the poor. He that lends to the poor lends to the Lord. But what was Jesus trying to say? Don't let this get into you. Don't let this take control of you. Don't let this become, you become so focused into this that it enters in and it begins to strangle the word in your life. Distraction is of the world. Look, I've got kids that are not doing the right stuff for God. I mean, they, they tell me sometimes, and, 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 and they tell me the decisions they're making, and I'm just like, don't do that. Don't, that's wrong. Don't do, don't do that. Mom and I have been through this. Don't, please. They don't listen. They go right out and just go ahead and do it, right? And then come and ask you to help bail them out after they do it. But, you know, and, and, and so now that could become a major distraction in your life and can become a stranglehold on your faith. And then it becomes an idol. Because now it's keeping you awake at night. Now it's giving you a nervous stomach. It's making your blood pressure go up. And on and on and on and on and on. So how do I deal with it? told us how to deal with it. Cast your cares, your worries, your anxiety. This is in 1 Peter 5, 4. Cast your cares, your anxieties, and your worries once and for all upon him because he cares for you. Cast it off onto him. Cast it to him. So what are we supposed to do? We cast it to the Lord. We give it to him. How do we do that? You know, it's not just like, well, Lord, I just give that to you. No, he told you in Philippians chapter 4. Very clearly, he said, don't worry about anything, but in all things with prayer and supplication, make your requests made known to God, and then the peace of God which guards your heart will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. But if you let it enter in, I promise you, it will choke the word in your life. So Sharon and I, we're not running around with our heads buried in the sand about our children. I know sometimes it, it might seem that way, because we, but we have purposed in our life that we are not going to let their bad decisions hold us hostage. Amen. I learned that from a good friend. 
Because what we have to do in our life is we have to realize, look, see how the enemy works? Let me just show you this. All right, so you're believing for your kids. You know, they're, they're getting so far out there, wild stuff, crazy and bizarre, and you're just like, what in the world is going on? You let it enter in. And what's going to happen is, is that it begins to choke the word in your life. Now listen to this. And you are the impetus that God is going to use to break that kid out of the darkness that they're in. So what I've got to do, if I'm the devil, I want to make sure you're all screwed up because you're the only one that really cares anyways, except in you and God. And now God, we lost you because you've already given up in worry and fear. Boy, pastor, that's awesome. So let me just beat the daylights out of you and make you worry about it and fearful and, and concerned and distracted and boogered out, man, and you're just like crying and frustrated and don't know what, because what am I doing? I'm keeping you right where I want you to be, not in faith, but absolutely in fear, because you're the reason they're going to come out of where they're at, because you're standing, you're a man or a woman of God on the face of this planet, and you have authority on this earth, and the devil knows it, and he wants to lie to you and beat you down, so you will never be able to fulfill the divine fruit and purpose that he has intended for your family. And the same is true with your kids, and the same is true with your finances, and the same is true with your business, and the same is true with all the things that you're putting your hands to. God isn't stopping it. The devil can't hurt, can't stop God, but he can stop you if you let it. So, well, Pastor, it's hard. I know it's hard. It's frustrating. Absolutely it's frustrating. But that's why that we cast it, Lord, I put this before you. And I mean, I'm talking sincere. Lord, I am not going to carry the weight of this. Decisions, the, 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 the sin, the, 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 the reprobate stuff, that I am not carrying the weight of this. I put it off to you, Lord God, and I just trust you that you're working. And I believe in you, and I'm going to speak the word. I'm going to intercede. I'm here as your vessel to be used by you, and you pray. And you stop letting that choke the word in your life. Because that's exactly what it wants to do. Am I talking to anybody here today? All right. So that's just one. That's just one. So then he goes on, and this one here has gone all over the map with Christians and just, you know, uh, in the church. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches are not a bad thing, okay? But look, they can deceive you. One, they can definitely make you feel like you got security. And look, you don't have security in riches. I promise you that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago in 2008, we watched a lot of people watch their their uh, retirement go, okay? And, and, and you know, look, I, I mean, I never pulled out of the market or pulled out of all that because of that. But the, And it's gone back up now. But... You know, if you if you if you let riches control your life, you're deceived by them. Now, let me take that to another level. Listen to this. This is out of Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 4. Do not, now watch it, overwork to be rich. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Stop it. Stop it. Don't overwork to be rich. It's not about how much money that we can accumulate in life. You know, how many parents do I talk to that say, you know, I worked so hard when my kids were little, 
now I'm spending more time with my grandkids, but I wished I had spent more time with my children. And I'm sure the children felt that too. You know, the Jeannie used to sing the song to us here, you know, that um, I grew up just like you. What was that by, uh, um, yeah, Harry, Cha- Harry Chapin? Yeah, you know, the cat's in the cradle, right? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm just like you, Dad. I'm just like you. See, what happens in life is, is that we work so hard. And, we're, and, and for whatever reason, we work so hard. And if it's to get riches, that's going to be so empty. Look at Solomon, what happened with him. I know it's, it's so hard for us because none of us is living like this, okay? But uh, I, I love one, one of the, uh, look, I don't care what you think about him politically, but I did hear Donald Trump say this uh, the other day, and I thought it was so powerful. He said, look, at the prayer breakfast, he said, I have money. I know people that have lots of money. Lot, he said, a lot more money than I've got. And he said, they are absolutely miserable. Now, I know that's hard because, you know what, you and I would think, man, if I had more money, I'd be so happy. I'd be on a yacht. I'd be, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right? But see, the, the, the problem is, is that in that it's deceiving to you and I because it begins to, it begins to create this source of security to our lives. And then these guys, they're, they're just, they're, they're unhappy because they have no relationship with God. And that's pretty much what Trump said is, is that, look, they, they have no, they need, he said, the only thing that's going to make a difference in your life is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. I don't care what you think about politically about it. I wish he'd quit Twittering. All right. Do us a favor and just get rid of the tweets. But, uh, but look, if you, if you take it at its face value of a wealthy person who says it doesn't produce what you think it will produce, okay? I mean, you can only eat so many steaks, right? You can only buy so many boats. You can only have so many cars. You can only wear so many diamonds. I know Sharon tries to get as many as she can, but, but you know, how, how many pairs of shoes? I mean, you can only have so many pairs of shoes, Right? What did Emil DeMarcos have? A hundred pairs of shoes in her closet? Something like that. But you can only have so many. And then at some point, you know, it's like me. I don't know how some of you guys are. I have a lot of clothes. And sometimes I just go like, my brain stops working when I start trying to figure out what to wear. I'm like, well, you know, I haven't worn that like in a long time. And, you know, you got your fat jeans, your skinny jeans, your... <laughs> right? You had all the different stuff. And I'm like looking in the closet and I'm just like, you know, and I've caught myself. I don't know if you, maybe this doesn't happen to you. Maybe you just got like one pair of pants and one shirt and one. But I stand there. I could just stand there at the closet for 10 minutes just looking up and down the line. And then I got, that's, the, that's not the only closet I got. I got to sell And I won't throw anything away. Right? I don't throw anything away. So, I mean, Sharon had, Sharon will sneak in and throw stuff away, but I don't throw stuff away. And then I come looking for it, and she says, well, I threw that out. It was, you know, it was starting to live a life of its own, right? <laughs> so, look, when you and I, here's, here's, I think, how we can judge this. Are you becoming emotionally attached to your finances? Because, see, money is not, an, it, money is, 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 is not an emotional thing. 
people are emotional, but money is not, and when you and I allow ourselves to all of a sudden enter into where money has become about emotion, you know, it's like you, you watch people tithe sometimes in church and it looks like they're going to a funeral service. Goodbye, I'll miss you. I could have used you. I wish I had more time with you, you know, and they put it in the basket or, you know, it's like, I mean, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Not a grieving, sad, sourpuss. And so, I mean, not that he doesn't love them, but, you know, he loves it when we're cheerful about our giving because we're not emotionally attached to it. You know, Sharon and I, we, we in our lives, and I think most of you would admit this, when we started out in life, we had nothing. And guess what? We were happy. We were happy. We didn't own our own home. We rented a little dinky apartment. We had two kids in that little dinky apartment. And I mean, it. and, and you know what? And we were happy. We had a car that we had to believe God for it to run. One day we finally were able to get another car and uh, we gave that car away and we told the people when we gave it to them, we said, look, this is a faith car. How many of you have ever had a faith car? We said, we're going to give you this car, and uh, it's a faith car. So we'll tell you what that means. That means that you better use your faith every time you turn it on and every time you need to stop, right, that it keeps going. And they didn't believe God, and within a week, that thing was gone. It died. It blew up. The engine blew up in it. I mean, that car one time, we actually drove all the way from Texas to home, and when we got home, we went to the gas station and said, it's acting kind of funny. Would you look at it? And the guy, this is, you have to be a little older to understand this, but the guy goes, well, here's why the, the rotators busted off the distributor. Now, you know, if you know what a distributor, that rotator goes around and clicks all the, he says, there's nothing touching. I said, well, then how's it running? He goes, I have no idea how this thing kept running. I'll tell you how it kept running because it's a faith vehicle. Amen. Some of you are going out here in the parking lot today to start your faith car. Now, were we miserable? Were we unhappy? No, we were happy. We, we lived on mac and cheese and wieners, you know, just if that was a good day, if you could slice a hot dog up in it. But we were happy. Then all of a sudden you start accumulating. You know, when we moved, when we moved um, to from Roma, Texas, on the mission field, to Marietta, Ohio, we had one small trailer that held everything. When we moved from Marietta to Midland, we needed a U-Haul to do that. Big U-Haul. was loaded up. And dear Lord, today, I'd probably need two U-Hauls to move all of our stuff. That'd just be one of them be for sharing shoes, I'm sure. So... But, but look, see, if, it's, if it becomes emotional, how many of you would just say to, to today, you'd be honest about this, that when you had nothing, you were very happy? I mean, you know, when you could just, I mean, I'm not saying, you, you know, I'm talking about now you've probably, you know, you've got a, you've got a bank account, you've got, an, you've got monies put away, you've got retirement monies, all these things, you've got better vehicles, you know, more toys, stuff that you have, nothing wrong with any of that. But the minute that it emotionally grabs hold of you, it has deceived you. Now, watch what it does. It chokes. 
chokes the word, puts you in the stranglehold. And when it does that, then what it's trying to do is to, it's entering in, and so it now begins to, it begins to control everything. You know, we talk about sometimes some of our bucket list stuff that we want to be able to do in our lives. There's all kinds of things that we, I don't know if I like bucket lists because it sounds like I'm going to, you know, I'm getting ready to die. But, because uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to live, man. <laughs> Amen. But, you know, we talk about stuff that we want to do and things and places we want to go and things that we want to be able to buy someday. But we're not like living our lives totally controlled by that. If it happens, praise God. And if it doesn't happen, praise God. Can you say amen this morning? I told you the deceitfulness of riches is a tough one in the church because it's our relationship with wealth. And Solomon said, look, I had everything. I, he had so much silver, they were just piling it up in his backyard. They're like, oh, man, look, somebody gave us some silver. Throw it out. Oh, we got so much gold. Well, I don't know, turn it into a toilet. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with it. We got so much of it. I mean, we're already drinking out of gold, and we're already eating off of gold, and this chair I sit in is gold, and let's make a toilet out of gold, Okay. I mean, what do you do when you, at some point there's just such that accumulate? And Solomon said, it's all vanity, folks. And, and here's where he really laid it out. And this, you have to get into Ecclesiastes to see this. But he said, look, be happy that you can work every day and enjoy the fruit of your labor. I mean, that's it. He said, so look. Just be happy you can enjoy the fruit of your labor. Oh, man, that's awesome. And uh, I know that, you know, and we want all kinds of stuff, and that's great, but let's just think about enjoying what we have right now. Amen? The fruit of our labor. So he talks about the deceitful. Actually, the word deceit here in the Greek language is the word to cheat. It, it's rooted in the word cheating. The riches try to cheat you out of what God really wants to do in your life. There is nothing like living your life, friend. Look, i am be honest with you. There is nothing like living your life knowing that God is on your side financially. There's just nothing like it. I mean, you know, when I, when I get, I love to give my tithes and offerings because it just reminds me that God is involved in my finances. That he has completely, absolutely opened the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing. There's not room enough. He's empowering me to receive everything that he wants in my life. And it just feels so good. I mean, you know, no matter when I watch the market, just, you know, they go, oh, it went down a thousand points. And, oh, it went up a thousand points. And you know what I go? Oh, well, <laughs> because my investment is in the heavens. Amen. And I'll get what I get out of that. And look. Whatever else I need, God's going to take care of. Hallelujah. That's peaceful, man. That's peaceful. Then the last thing he talked about here that can choke the word in our lives is the desire for other things. And if you didn't like those first two, you're going to hate this one. Okay. Because, Because this means a longing for something you used to have. A longing for something you used to have. Desire for other things means you and I longing maybe for the past life that we had without Christ. Longing back for the bottle of booze or the pot. I knew a pastor one time that said that for his 30th birthday, 
I would I, I never respected him as a minister because I, he said this that if he could that on his 30th birthday he's getting a six pack of beer and and look I'm not saying alcohol is a sin drunkenness is but he's going to get a six pack of beer and a box of cigars and go out in a boat and drink and smoke and get drunk then he turned around and said that I know if I could smoke weed I'd have a real revelation of God see if you begin to long hey can I be honest with you I had a lot of fun as a drunk anybody that drank you, you can't say it was all bad when I did drugs it wasn't all bad I had lots of fun times oh man overeating and now, now we're getting into the church sense right right Oh, I've had a great time just, you know, pigging out. But here's the thing. If I long for what I've been liberated from, I've heard Christian people say this. True, true, true statement. Life was easier when I didn't have, when I wasn't a Christian. That's longing for the past. I don't long for the past. Anytime the illusion, and it is an illusion, the desire for the past life, the desire for what I once had. See, think of how that works, how the enemy would love for you to do that. Because what does that do in your life? If I get you to long for your past, I can rob your future. If I can get you to just want that past life so much to be that, you know, to... You know, all that stuff that you used to do, the, the sinful things that you, and you didn't care. That's what the enemy wants to do because he knows it'll take all your future away from you. We'll just get you stuck in the past. Well, it was a lot, Pastor, you don't know. I became a Christian, and I mean, it's just hard. I mean, you know, and I, I mean, get, going to church is hard, giving's hard, and, and praying's hard, and reading my Bible's hard, and it's just all, it's all, look, let me, can I tell you something? This is honest to God's truth. Life is hard. And if you want to ever get out of where you are, it's going to be hard to get there. It isn't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You want to be healthy? It's going to be hard. Are you kidding me? You're going to have to sacrifice. you got to sacrifice. I mean, and that's on every level. I'm, t- I'm talking about all those things from our past that we might think, well, that would be so much fun if I, you know, if I could just keep my tithe. If I didn't have to go to, you know, my neighbor don't go to church. Why should I have to go to church? And, you know, why do I need this? And why do I need to do that? And on and on. And we're just longing for something we once, we once had. We once had. Look, I... I encourage you to do this I, I, truthfully. And I please don't think I'm picking on any group of people by saying this. But I encourage you, go ahead back to the bar one night. Now wait, go about 11 o'clock at night when everybody's juiced up real good. And then just, I'm not telling you to go drink, I'm just telling you to go and just observe. And then ask yourself, is that really what you want. I had to go to a, I went to a thing the other, man, I went to a deal just to, um, uh, to 
for a friend of ours who was battling cancer. They were doing a benefit, just went to support his music. It was at a bar. I, you know, I hate going to, I, it was dark, it stunk, <laughs> right? I mean, it was bad. And then I got hit on like within, by some woman that was drunk out of her mind. And you'd have to be drunk to hit on me, but she was like, you know, oh, you're so big and tall and blah. I'm just like, get away, get away, run, get out of here. And, uh, and I couldn't get away from her and, and, uh, and finally got away and, and uh, took off into the other room. And then I'm just there and I'm talking with people and they're not making any sense. And I'm just thinking, and I used to like this. <clears throat> I used to look forward to this on Friday night, on Saturday night. I used to look forward to this on Wednesday night. <laughs> Pass. Pass. Now listen. Are you lusting for something from the past? Because the past is behind you, friend. And you got a whole future ahead of you. A whole future ahead of you. So he says that. It chokes the word. It becomes unfruitful. And then I want you to notice in verse 20, and then we'll stop here this morning. And it's early because we're going to pray this morning. I just really felt that we needed to have some prayer time together. And these are they which are sown on good ground. They hear the word. So notice how he went from heard, hear with joy, hear and receive. These ones, they hear the word, they receive it, and then they bring forth. They bring forth. They bring forth fruit, and and I don't care about the thirty fold, some sixty and a hundred. That's that 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 we don't need. A, there's another place where he says they all brought a hundredfold. So that's not really the issue with it. The, the The issue is is that these ones hear it, they receive it, and they bring forth the fruit. They reach their divine destiny. Would you agree with me that the the divine destiny of an apple seed is not just to be an apple seed, but an apple seed's divine destiny is to become an apple tree. But the divine destiny of the apple tree never stops with just being the tree. The divine destiny of the apple tree is to produce more apples after its kind, right? The divine destiny of the Christian is not just to hear, having heard the word, but it is to hear the word, to receive the word, and to bring forth. In the two examples of the last two, when you look at the thorns and choking the word, they hear the word as well, but they can never bring forth because of these three things are working against them. Now you say, well, pastor, you know, how do I make sure that I'm good ground? Well, how do you make sure your garden's got good ground? You work it. Look at your neighbor and say, work it. Uh, Hey, you got to work it. You got to get in there. You got to pull the junk out. You got to get rid of it. And you know what? Even if you do it once, do you got to do it again? Man, you got to fertilize it. You got to put nutrition in it. You got to hoe it. You got to dig in it, you got to rototill it, you got all this stuff to do. 
And, and you, why are you doing it? Because you want to produce fruit. Now, it would be incredible if we could just say, okay, God, I put the seed in. Now, you make sure the ground stays clear, okay? And you know what God would say? No. You get down in the dirt. You dig out the weeds. You pull up the thorns. You get the rocks out. You know, I, when I drive through Gratiot County, I know this used to all be forest and swamp. I mean, I just think of what these farmers have done to this land, pulling all that. Can you imagine how hard that was? And we're not talking about having tractors, okay? We're talking about having plow horses and kids. <laughs> I mean, you know, these guys are pulling. We had at the back part of our property here, we have this pile of rocks, I mean, it's just these huge boulders that they just keep pulling because it goes through and they're pulling them out. You know, God isn't pulling the rocks out of your life. You've got to pull the rocks out of your life. God isn't killing off the thorns. You've got to get rid of the thorns. Well, that's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard, but do you want to produce fruit? If you want to get to where God's divine purpose is for your life, it will be difficult but it is possible. That's the great good news, is, is that you gotta, you got to begin, I love it, with the end in mind. Because if you don't, you will become weary. That's why he said, don't cast away your confidence. It has a great recompense of reward. you got to keep the end in mind. you got to always be thinking, no, this isn't just about me. Have, you know, if I get out there and we get this garden and all I'm thinking is, man, I hate this because all I do, all I do, do, and that's a lie, but all I do is pull weeds. Well, that ain't all, that's not all you do. You eat the stuff the plants produce too. But if all you think about is I got to pull weeds, then you're pouting and whining. And every time you walk out there, you're just trying to not look at it. You got to keep the end in mind. The end in mind. The end in Five things the enemy uses, affliction, persecution. Those rob divine purpose. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. Those rob your divine power. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. Um, Why don't you all stand up with me?